So I've been told this whole time, the outside world, it's bad, it's this, it's that. Especially towards the end, it was, you won't know how to survive. It's big, bad, dark, and ugly. That couldn't have been farther from the truth. Sometimes people come share your story, talk, and it's like, most of the time it gets worse before it gets better. And if you pause the story in that middle, it is dark, dark, dark. It's funny though, sometimes I think you have a different kind of joy. It would be easier for me to be mad at God in your shoes than in my shoes. I haven't been mad at God about losing my child, I haven't. I mean, the analogy of God loving us like we love our children is completely blown on you. You're like, yeah, oh great, I'm, so he loves me like my dad? You said like angry at God and I'm, I'm over here like nodding, but I'd, I'm like, do I want to nod to something that doesn't feel right? Or like, what, what do I feel about that? And I think on any given day, it can be different. I think I'm looking at God, but my dad is in between me and mm -hmm. that, you know, and we have so much imagery about the father. I'm like, could you have picked any other example, please? <laughs> you know? Welcome to the second part of episode 17 of the Good Grief, Good God Show. Hosted by Grammy nominee and Emmy award-winning hit songwriter of 15 top 10 songs, including nine number ones, Brad Warren of the Warren Brothers. Join Brad during season one monthly on the first and third Tuesdays on your favorite audio platform or in video on YouTube for raw, honest conversation about surviving things that suck. For today's episode, Brad welcomes a singer-songwriter and author of a best selling memoir, Unspeakable, Surviving My Childhood and Finding My Voice, Jessica Willis Fisher. Jessica is the eldest of 14 siblings of the Willis family. The family rocketed to fame after appearing in America's Got Talent in 2014 and after two seasons on TLC's reality show, The Willis Clan. But behind the curtain of fame was a controlling, abusive, violent, and domineering father who is now serving a prison sentence of 40 years on four counts of child rape. In addition to her book, Jessica also recently released Brand New Day, her debut record. I'm producer Matt Pivato. To learn more about today's guest, Brad, and the show, check the description where you'll also find clickable links to connect to the show on social media and to visit goodgriefgoodgodshow.com. Lastly, if you'd like to help support the show, hit that like and subscribe button and leave us a comment or a five-star review. On the behalf of Brad's wife, Michelle, and segment producer and guest booker, Lisa Bolt, thank you for tuning in. The Good Grief, Good God Show is brought to you in loving memory of Sage Michael Warren. I'm one of 12. Things were happening to me and these other precious young humans weren't even born. You know, this talk about something predating you and you know, when I come to, whether it be my mother, my father, anybody, when I have anger, when I have betrayal, when I have blame that I'm, you know, I'm trying to make sense of something, I have to be really honest and look at the period in my story where I think other people in a valid way could look at me and go, you had what you needed, but you didn't do what you should have done. And I think that when other people say that to us, that's so hard. Cause how do you let that in? Like, it's so, that's so vulnerable. That's so, that's the hardest thing you could possibly hear. But I do want in my own way to face that because I want to not be that, that I want to make a different decision now. If I want to grow past the person who hid, I talk, uh, there's a scene in my book where, um, I call them in the dark ages, like those mm. few months before I left that were so hard where, I was trying to like stand up for myself, but it was in the most devastating way possible probably for my family because my sanity was like going bit by bit. I was getting crazier and crazier because I, I just wasn't removing. There's no way to fix a system. You remove yourself from it. So when you're trying to like protest and stay in it, it just deteriorates so quickly. And we were in the bus and um, my dad told me to apologize and I did not. We were, it was kind of an argument, kind of, he was like disciplining me. And um, he hit me in the face, um, which he hadn't really done that before. And he pulled the bus over. He was driving. He pulled the bus over. He was like pulling me by my hair. It got like, it got so scary. And all of my siblings were in there and my mom, and it was just chaos and screaming and like all of this stuff. I was like bleeding and a police car had seen the bus pull over and the policeman came to the door and nobody had to even say anything to me that I remember anyway. I just went and like hid in my bus because I knew how to put a smile on my face, but I couldn't out smile like the blood and the bruising that was probably happening at that point. And as I was sitting there hiding, I felt like 
the small child who needed someone to come save her. But I was very aware that I was like in an adult's body. And it was like, I'm still waiting for permission to accept this is really happening. And no one's going to stop it. I didn't even stop it. And here's help at the door. And I, it is not within me to reach for that. Like it's never going to get easier than it is in this split second. And so I was just wondering like, am I ever going to get out? If I haven't left yet, am I going to die? Is this going to escalate so quickly that, you know, that, and that was the darkest moment for me. How, how I didn't want to be alive. after that did you actually get out? And so that was probably either January, it was like between November or January, somewhere in that winter. In the book, at some point I had nailed down the exact date because I knew what gigs it was between. Mm -hmm. Like I, I was on stage a couple of days later. Um, in Nashville for a conference. Um, but I, I left in April, so it was still a number of months. And it, it I would say it got worse from there. Um, so I think that's the part that I was speaking earlier about, like there was some amount of scandal and, oh, this, this father did this. And eventually um, I spoke and some of my other sisters and siblings spoke about, you know, this being our story. And um I think that was the part that I was still wearing, even up until the release of this book was like, there are still so many parts of the story that feel unspeakable and like, it's so shameful to admit, but it's because I'm admitting like how bad I let it get before I left. It's crazy. It starts so early though. Like anyone who would say anything like it not being your fault, even the running and hiding, you, you were programmed and you were programmed to do that. It was, we protected, we protect this thing, whatever it is. That's my issue with the man is never wrong. The dad's never wrong. And, and we're going to protect this no matter what. So bleeding, if the, the damn law, Johnny Law would say this, or just any regular person off the street would go, this is wrong. This is right. If they saw you, if anyone saw you in regular, same America, world, anywhere, and saw you bleeding with your dad touching your hair. They would anyone would say this is wrong. And somehow, over years and years, you were programmed to immediately go hide to protect that thing that was so precious. I mean, it, it it probably goes back generations because even though I had great parents and they were good, it's not. And I don't. It makes them even better people to me. But in that programmed, this is how it is, and this is right, no matter what. I am right about everything, and this is these people are wrong. And those that generations of that, and however it comes about. Um, you set yourself up for when you get the person that turns out to be like your dad, it goes on way longer than it should. It goes on to a way a further extent than it should. And I don't think you can put any of that blame on yourself. I mean, there's well, nothing I, you can. I you didn't know anything different. And, you know, there's something to be said about, maybe everyone isn't like this, but I, I certainly am like, we're, we're hardest on ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> and so sometimes there's a great, um, to to like play a switch where you go like is that the way you would treat your friend and it's like no, would you blame your friend would you blame your younger sister would you blame and like so i think that can be helpful to like try to adjust our our yeah. um, perspective and to have a lot of compassion for ourselves i think the compassion that we share and show to others is directly related to whether we can show that compassion to ourselves to our younger selves and so um however it motivates you some people the only way they get motivated to do their own work is because they realize that it can help them treat others better. Like, however you get there, totally. I think that you do have to prioritize. And, you know, you want to be an honest person, start by being honest with yourself. You want to be a compassionate person, start with being compassionate for yourself because it all flows from there. Um, and uh, sometimes that's the biggest, longest challenge. So from childhood you get on america's got talent and you guys are i mean you're, you're like on a bus like a touring act with your 12 person mm -hmm. family how many people were total so there are 12 kids 12, and so two 14. parents so it's 14 people on a bus and we did um for a couple of years there we were really active um we were we had our we were on um and i do talk about this stuff in the book i don't think the point of my book is to try to do like a tell-all or behind the scenes of the TV show or the this or the that. Like <clears throat> I'm really focused on, again, I'm telling the story that wasn't being told, the one that needed to be told. Yeah. Um, but that's important context. You know, some of these things take place in an environment that wouldn't have been present. Like, you know, like it wasn't integrated into other groups and systems. It was this really kind of isolated thing and it was 
very different on the outside than it was on the inside. Um, but yeah, in those, some of those like hardest times we were on TV, we were traveling and I talk about like, I think the hardest thing like for my sanity was, for example, and it, it happened many times, but just bringing it to a single instance of like playing a show, singing about God, singing about family, singing about love, singing about all these things, like doing the doing the jokes about the band and the accordions and the siblings and all of that, getting off stage and maybe only a couple days before getting hit in the face or something. And, and just that never ending, always present fear, like chemical fear in the body. Um, and to have like a young girl, long denim skirt, white tennis shoes, hair in a braid, gorgeous smile, just going, I wish I was in your family. <laughs> and that cognitive dissonance of being like, I can't, survive this much longer um and to feel so guilty that there are other and and to come into contact with so many other like not just large families or homeschoolers or, or but like large families who homeschool have a family band who when i look at the father and i look at that i just go there's so much resonance here that it scares me mm -hmm. and our family is being pointed to and like i for a fact know that there are humans that are alive because of like my family, because people went, oh, we're gonna do what they're doing, the outside version, not like the real thing that was happening underneath, but trying to pursue this image and this testimony of an ideal maybe, and then, then like trying to imitate that. And so, you know, that's a rabbit hole that you could really kind of fall down, but trying to make sense of that, that wasn't a true story and like, but what is the consequence of that being out there? And it's like preserved, it's on the internet. Like people find videos of my family, whether it's performing or TV show and they see that and it like exists forever as this preserved entity on the internet. And it's like really weird for me to come in contact with that. I mean, it's almost like you looking down at this, who, who was that? I'm mean, sure there's moments, right? Because the, the further you get from that, you're like, and, and I'm I, completely my own fault and and not not a victim of anything but my own actions. But I when I look back at my behavior when I was using and drinking, I've been sober almost eighteen years. It's, I, it's been a long time. I look back and I'm like, I can't even. I don't. Why would you do that? Oh my God, you idiot! I, so I can look back at that, and and part of that is going. But that was I've had a spiritual awakening since that point. Mm -hmm. I put the work in, and we've made some changes. Do you ever struggle? Like sometimes I'll find. I mean, it's it's just an analogy, but it's like, is a different planet. It's like the rules are different. Like you look at it and you go, it doesn't make sense, but you're like, yeah, the gravity wasn't a thing. Like there was a different rule of gravity there. Um, and just to be like, I mean, I'll try to explain it to you, but you kind of had to be there. And just, yeah, you don't know and sometimes, you know. yeah. Which is why recovery, 12 step programs work because it's other people that are addicted to the same thing that you are. That's why AA and Overeaters Anonymous are two different groups. Because if you, and the thing that you're speaking of, I mean, it's funny how you related to it. Well, I read Educated. I thought it was brilliant and Tara over. It's just absolutely stunning. And love to talk to her one day, my God. You have to. You, I mean, <laughs> I was going to say this. Surely she's going to see you somewhere and, and want to have the conversation. But it seems so crazy. And her father probably seemed a lot like your father, but not even close if you think about the to the extent that you're um, – that you're – father went over the edge. So you're, you're almost like literally like I'm completely alone. Who on earth is going to understand what I've been through? Yeah. That's a question that I've, I've asked before. And some days, whether the struggle is about like the spiritual questions and making sense of this really confusing mess, or maybe centering more on the sexual abuse and stuff. The truth is these are very common things actually. And like the, one of the biggest things that I remember feeling was like, this is my, this is like uniquely my fault or like I am broken in a way, like nobody else understands. It feels so singular. Um, and to really then years later come, I've been to, to onsite and come into contact, um, other amazing therapy, therapy programs and just really understanding that that's the door that we all at some point, unfortunately, get the opportunity to walk through. And it's really the only thing that unites us all is some sort of pain, trauma, because pain is pain is pain. Like maybe it's not the same exact thing, loss, confusion. Um, these are the big questions, you know, do we lean in? Do we understand the power and potential of vulnerability and connection and that it leads to that? And those are, they go hand in hand, or do we let it, make us brittle, um, 
you know, turn us into the worst version of ourselves because guarantee if we do not do our work, it will come out on someone else. And that's where cycles come from. That's where the generational trauma comes from. And um, that's a calling that you either take up or don't, but it's a relief and a grief and a healing to understand that we are not alone. We're all together in this if we let it open us up and let it you know, yeah. let something good grow. You're not just breaking your family cycle, which is it's amazing, but you're breaking cycles for other people because somebody is listening to you here or wherever it is that you're talking. Somebody is listening going, oh my God, there's elements of that. And maybe they're way far from the from where you, that, that mm-hmm. terrible but, place you were, but they could see the similarities and go, no, 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 I'm going to change this trajectory right now. And to me, that's a paying forward because, and paying back because so many people did that for me. And, for all the times where I felt like I'm alone, nobody's at, there are so many people that have gone before me for years. And, you know, there are so many amazing people who have stepped forward at most of the time at great personal risk um, or pain to talk about their experience as, you know, victims of childhood sexual abuse um, or something in that area. Um, again, like whether it's Tara we've mentioned or different people that have really set their time and their intention to try to articulate something that really is common because I think I look at my story and I, I understand that there, there are things that are exceptional or sensational or extreme about it. I don't think that happens every day, but parts of it are super common. So it's just about the combination. So like how many times is it 12 kids and they're on TV and they're this and they're that. It's like, okay, that's a unique combination. We can only list a couple of those families, right? But um, sometimes I think I look at my story and I go, well, one of the worst things like that it went to such degree for so long and so severe with these crimes, um, that is absolutely never okay. You don't want to take away from that. You got to hold space for that and work on it. That's a lifetime of work. It's been interesting to me to realize that there are so many other things that sometimes feel harder to get to because they seem less severe in some people's Mm. eyes. Just the emotional enmeshment in a family of any size can be a life's work of someone to make sense of. Um, Messages from your religious upbringing, like all those things kind of carry some of that same weight and challenge every day. And in some ways, I'm grateful for some of, grateful strange <laughs> to say in this context. I get you though. Um, I say that, yeah. But I look at some of the worst things and I go, you know, those were the things that got my attention and made me go to the emergency room of life. But sometimes when you go in for one issue, they tell you about all these other things. And you're like, oh, great. Well, I'm glad that we did a heart scan. So now I know what I'm at risk for. Yeah, and yeah. it's like, it's a laundry list. Are those things. other things that aren't so extreme as the sexual abuse? Are so, those things where there's some truth and then some, some, some health, like there's, there's things in all of my religious baggage that I would say was baggage. And there's good elements and some truth in there. And then there's also, oh, that's, that's out of balance. Well, like family. Sifting like, that out? I don't think you come and say family's always wrong or bad. Like, you know try saying that. Everybody knows that it can be such a source of the best things in your life and all of this. And it's almost always going to be some sort of mixed bag. Right. And so everybody's trying to make a decision of what to keep, what, you know, what, um, uh, what traditions to keep up, what relationships to maintain and like, you know, different seasons of life. Um, I think that it's hard to give consistently good advice across the board. <laughs> I think people come to me and they go, well, how do you get out? How do you make sense of this? And I go, bro, I really do not know that I'm in a position to be giving anyone advice. I'll speak the truth. I'll tell you my story. And I've benefited from hearing other people's story. And as I do have things to share, I will want to share them. But sometimes it's just like, give me a little more time. Another, ex- like an example of something that doesn't seem as extreme at first to me, but you realize there's so much heartache and work to be done is it took me a while to realize that I actually qualify for and I'm present for, um, like, um, I'm actually going to get the the acronym wrong, but adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families. I had heard the first part. I didn't really hear the dysfunctional families part until later. And I read the big red book for that. 
and attended a couple meetings. And it was mind blowing to me to realize here's a whole group of people and community that I do belong in. And some of the things that I sit at home and go, nobody understands these things. I'm like, all of these people here are saying the same thing. And when we come together, we understand that we certainly are not alone. And we're wrestling with some of these things. It's like, you know, is this bad enough to like struggle over? And it's like, yes, like we shouldn't be asking ourselves, like, is this bad enough? Yeah, we don't have to wait you know? till it gets bad enough to, yeah. to struggle over. And and everyone's struggle is is their own. I mean, honestly, you I'm sure that you will be, but you you have to be like a keynote speaker for things because you're orating this so well. I can't wait to read your book. What's it called again? So everyone can go so buy it. So my book, yeah, sorry, I'm bad. My manager is like, you have to like say the name of your son. I'll say it a so hundred times. So my book is called Unspeakable, Surviving My Childhood and That's Finding right, My Voice. Yeah. I can't wait to read it. I mean, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> what is what is your youngest sibling? How old are they? So my youngest sibling is 12 years old right now. And the last, so the, how long has your dad been in jail? So he was sentenced in 2017. Okay. Um, so we're, I think we're like six years yeah. into what ended up being a 40-year sentence it's interesting because you know there were certain outlets and stuff tracking the story and not all all things that you know they didn't get the story right in many ways like i understand when you cut something down like say if we talked for two hours but this needed to be 40 minutes like you're going to cut some stuff down and you're never giving the benefit of the doubt you're not trying to make anything wrong but you can cut two sentences together and make something that's incorrect so with such complex with so complex of a story, again, leaving room for doubt. A lot of times, I don't think people are trying to get it wrong. But of course, with such a complicated, delicate, personal thing, um, like it's been reported, like I reported to a family counselor. Like now, I wish that I could have been the person to actually be the first one to pick up the phone. I was not. And I do not want to erase the story of the person who did do that. Um, you know, it just feels like those little details, of course, like are so important. I mean, ultimately, I did give testimony and that's what the arrest warrant was made of. So you could say that, you know, I reported and that's what, yes, but it's more complicated than that. So, yeah. you know, it's it's hard to know. I don't think it's the right choice for me to not have this conversation, have other conversations for fear of um, it just not being quite right, because that's another reason to never speak again, you know, never try to communicate the story. But when there's the opportunity for a longer form conversation, when someone's approaching with care and the intent to understand, I think that's an amazing opportunity. And, you know, I've done interviews and stuff for years, long going back a long time. I view them very differently now because before it was such an anxiety ridden thing to be on stage to tell a story that you know you're chucking jiving all the time you don't want to say the wrong thing to the wrong person and it's so different now um it's draining and hard in a way that it never was before and yet so fulfilling and important all at the same time um sometimes you have the hardest conversations and you you leave so light and uplifted because you connected with someone you made you, you're healing right then and there. You're making sense of your story in a new way. Um, so I guess all that to say thank you for being here in this moment and talking. Thanks, with- you know, I'm, we we lost a child. It's the worst thing. Um, and it's funny that you. We were, I was just thinking of it when you said that things get misconstrued. Because if you do the short version, oh, he tried to have a drug overdose. The truth is he did struggle with drugs and we had problems and he but he bought took fentanyl not knowing he was taking fentanyl and he was basically killed by someone it's but there's all those wrinkles if i was to worry about what everyone thought about i stood up at a funeral and i talked about the drug thing and i just just told it straight out to the kids i said that just just treat alcohol like a loaded weapon and and drugs like a time bomb and um and instead of going into the story to form he he wasn't he didn't have a heart attack he died of a drug overdose so let's talk about it and and I just stopped worrying about what people thought about me and started worrying about what I could do with this. What, I resonate with that so hard. You know what I mean? <laughs> what can I do with this? So if you're going to misconstrue me, because I'll tell you this, the worst thing anyone can ever th- think of to be in my world, in my purview of my life is a bad father. I would, I don't want to be a bad parent. Um, <clears throat> that's the worst thing. And when your kid dies of a drug overdose, 
you got to let go of that, that fear or that worry because somebody is going to think that you're a bad parent. I don't care anymore. Um, there's somebody at home somewhere in the world talking about how I was a bad parent. That's okay. That's cool. I'm not talking to you then. We're going to have to move you aside. What's next? Here's that person. There's somebody that's going to find blame in your story. Um, and the truth is, I go, I'll go back and think of, man, if we had done this and this and this and this, the, the, the real truth is we did a lot. <clears throat> I've been in recovery since he was six years old. He got to see recovery. He got to experience it for a year. It was amazing. It was an amazing year to see this the child that we raised. But addiction is a real thing. It's a problem for me to just sit and not talk about it because I'm worried about someone thinking that I'm a bad father is not helping anyone. That helps no one. Yeah. It helps nobody. So I let go completely of what anyone thinks. I don't care. And another thing is, I try to be a funny guy. My brother and I are songwriters. We perform. We've got a good life. And, you know, as far as just people that were, were fun. I'm not the guy that's going to have a podcast on grief. And you know what I mean? To talk about. <laughs> I am not the person that's going to have the meeting for the dads at my house. And I have now become that. Because I don't care anymore. I don't, you know, everyone wants to go on and used to be great to sit here and talk to my famous friends about the music business. Who cares? Um, But that would be, would have been my thing. But this situation has caused me to just stop worrying so much about what anyone thought about me and what can I do with this? And it's literally just to honor Michelle and I, to honor our son. And if we can do that and yours isn't a child, but yours is a story. It's powerful. And I know that you're, I know you're looking at those little girls. It is a child. I'm the child. Yeah. You're the child. Yeah. And every girl that you meet, that's looking up to you. I wish I was in your family. That's crazy when you say that. And I'm, I'm so back at you, like, Thank you for telling it. Like they, people need to hear this. I can't wait to read the book, but man, it's really gonna it's gonna get somebody out of a situation that they're in. I think it could have that possibility. I one of the things that people ask you, I know you have, you know, you also have made art, you've had store, you know, so you it's, get it's asked. It's debatable. I've been country music. Where was I gonna say? <laughs> oh, like one of the common questions that people ask about putting out music. Um, but it really hit me differently when people were asking it about the book, like, what do you hope people take away? And I think maybe that's the other area where I try to have for my own mental health boundaries around, like, have hopes, have, think about what the best case scenario is, think about the worst case scenario, make sure you really want to do this. But you also kind of have to get to a point where you have to let go of it does not matter what anyone else thinks about this. And I almost have to get to the point, this is so personal for me. This is so scary for me. This is so vulnerable. It's never not going to be hard. Um, I have to let go of whatever hopes that I have, because if I'm only doing this for a certain response and I don't get that response, it in a sense negates the whole reason of doing it. And so having a really like foundational, for sure, absolute reason reasons many of my own for doing this and then surrendering and having again not necessarily the context that i would have been raised with but i would use the word faith in whatever's supposed to happen is supposed to happen and it's going to be bigger than me and i'm not really going to be in control of it but i'm going to be open to it in for example putting out this book um, and trust that good can come of it while also being kind of not dependent on it being and looking one particular way. I'm mm-hmm. so grateful. It's been um, it's been one of those like small but mighty things. I don't yeah. think it's achieving anything that like the metrics or the numbers or like titles or like that's not the story, the news story. It's every person that lets me know um, that this book help them, save them, change them, made them feel seen that I got it right, that, that they know what I'm talking about that, you know, um, and there's going to be so many versions of that, that I never get to hear, but I just trust that that's there. And I want to be a part of that. And it is part of the reason of why I'm doing this. Oh, it's going to be there. And it's like, we used to say when I was just, when I was drinking, when the best parties never get planned, if you know exactly (laughs) what you want everyone to walk away with, you're robbing them of that. I, I, Mm -hmm. I miss writing songs like this, but we used to write songs that would just let people take the feeling they wanted away from it. No, yes. I'm, I'm in the, I well, write country music and we tell them the story we wanted to hear. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, we, I've kind of been referencing my book more, but having the musical element as therapy, as processing has been amazing because that has been a reclaiming. You know, that was something that I did for many years. In many ways I was pushed into, but throughout the things that were put on me, I found 
a love and something that was for me and that I was going to do whether other people listened to or not, that I was going to do for myself, even at great risk sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so to come back, it's like reclaiming the studio was hard because the last time I was there, my dad was running it. And to be in that place and to have a new association and it is like, it was the most wonderful day. And then I sat and cried because it was like grieving Mm -hmm. what I, the way it could have been. all those years and you know putting out a record that is so personal like every single word on the record i have lived in some way even the one song that wasn't mine like all the rest of the songs i wrote or co-wrote but just like storytelling and music is so healing and i know so many people believe that and have experienced that and it's interesting now to feel like it's a really amazing tool that i can keep in my toolbox that i can use to help share and encourage Mm -hmm. others um and ultimately once again to bring it back to like telling the truth um and i had a really cool experience where i actually got to make an audiobook for this book and i got to read it myself which was a trip in and of itself and another Mm -hmm. kind of therapy i'm sure um but then i got to put little pieces of the songs that i wrote sometimes right next to the scene about writing that song or like the story that inspired the song so So it's really interesting and they really are kind of like two sides of the same coin they definitely go together and inform each other um but i love the power of music you know the your your talent and the musical talent and the, the the what your family accomplished in the midst of unhealthy circumstances gave you a platform to so do you find like do you it's like this this part of this is good like there had to be fun to be on america's got talent there's moments of joy you weren't like immune to any happiness right it is weird to see like one of the things that i take away is when i think about wanting to help other people um i've encountered so many people that have the worst parts of my story they have the abuse they have the fear they have the childhood hurt um but they don't have the um friends and the the experiences and like because there are things that i've lived it really feels like i've lived two lives and the first life was like so horrible and beautiful and i think to some degree that's what makes it a special kind of horrible is to have like beautiful things tainted And again, you have the option, like you reclaim them or you leave them. Like, Mm -hmm. what am I just gonna let wash away? And I decided music was not something that I was okay with always being associated with my past and pain. Um, So um, just realizing that being in Nashville and like Music Cares, Porter's Call, there's some amazing, the Aubrey Trust Fund, like I'll name drop these all the time. Those, those organizations, those people were there for me. They helped fund my therapy. They helped, like, there's no way I'm here right now without all of that support. And I love that those communities exist for my peers and friends in the music community. Like, I love that that's there. There are so many other communities. Like, if there's a child that did not get pressed into, like, smiling and having some marketable skill, they are also very much still worthy of support and help and all of that. So figuring that out, like, we all, (laughs) there's so much work to do. Every one of us, it's kind of on us to figure out how we can. Um, And you know what? If there's a different cause that resonates with you because of your story and your experience, that's fine. I just think translating the hard, it's like we're handed cards, right? Some of them are really bad cards. Some of them are great. But like, this is our hand. It's our job to play it. And I don't think we need to be afraid of the people who judge how we do that. Like, it's our right. I'm going to play the hell out of this hand. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's me this past year is like assessing, facing all the hard things. Um, and I don't want to sound like it's all done and like perfectly arranged. The, the work goes on. But to like play a strong hand that makes something um, that I can share with others and that I can build on, um, it fills me with a lot of... Um, courage it's like a lot harder to tell me no now <laughs> yeah i was gonna say you're playing <laughs> like, the hell out luck. of hand you are no and it's i mean it, it, you orated so well it's really um amazing um and i want to get back to we'll get to al andrews in a second don't let me forget what i'm talking about but um it feels like you are this is totally t- tell me i'm an ass if i'm uh, no, it feels like you're 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 still feeling god out in this half of the this other maybe not god maybe it's i'm still feeling church out by the way so if that gives you any i'm i'm just curious i'm curious how that goes because i have moments and times but yeah i think that the things that really um 
it doesn't even occur to coming from such a kind of religious background that like God's the answer for everything. And like, you should use the Bible in every area of your life. And, and then realizing, oh, there's people that don't, you know, view religion, but then also saying there's people that are not religious that don't believe in God at all. And being like, oh, I definitely still find myself on this side of that. I, maybe it's because of the love that I have for art and creativity. I think it's relationships, romantic, platonic, like just connections with other human beings, nature, art, all those things like tell me that there is more to just like, whoa, like I, I can't see the world any other way. Like if I can write a story, I did not come up with all of this. Like who's the one who figured out like that meeting that person was going to lead to this, to that. Like writing down my own story was wild to see. It just looks like someone wrote it. Like I wasn't making it up. This is what happened. And just to see, it's just weird to go, am I going to look at this as coincidence or am I going to look at this as creativity, as design, as something that resonates and has purpose and has an art and a magic to it? And that's just, I still see the world that way. I see my own story that way. I believe in that sort of power. And like, when I think of that being as like the road that leads to God and seeking that out, that I am on that yeah, road. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I just don't know. I'm not, I'm not, by the way, I wasn't judging. <laughs> I was just curious because like, I, um, I lacked fundamental dogmatic, I shouldn't say I lack belief. I, I'm, I'm cool with whatever it is. I know I feel my higher power all the time, getting me through the things. Mm -hmm. And I, I believe it's Jesus. But if he came up and he said, hey, my name was was Pete. It was never Jesus. And everyone got all this wrong. I'm cool with that. Like, I'm okay to get whatever those things are wrong. But I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, which I would have been tempted to do earlier and go, it's all bullshit. I don't want to talk about this. And um, I know there's a God. I feel him. I see this. And and I, you said coincidence. Like, I don't even believe in coincidence. Somehow it all makes sense because if there was no God, and it was all just happening. Then you wouldn't be trying to help people. You would, it would be much more comfortable because we're 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 initially looking for comfort, right? Like don't don't go out into the unknown and the cold, or whatever. This is uncomfortable at first when you're doing it. this. Is uncomfortable for me, but embracing the discomfort and go, getting to that next thing is where something gets done. That's a little bit more important than just me surviving, making money feeding myself mm -hmm. or you know whatever those basic You're trying to do something more and I, yeah. I resonate with that and I think um you know I think it's I have always loved seeking out being exposed to people that just think differently um than me because I think that curiosity and openness is such a great trait that anyone can have I want to embrace that in myself um and encourage that and I think one of the positions that I find myself in is like being someone that I would have been warned against for many years mm. and like sitting with that. And like, you'd be someone that I would have been warned against, but like, yeah. I'm one too. Oh, sure. And like, if we're not in the exact same place, like that's fine. Um, I think that some people are really trying to work out. Like they're still trying to like, they talk about it. Maybe we process, I, I can process by talking, by listening, by reading, by, you know, consuming and reading and all of that and learning. I repeated myself there, but, um, you know, do you, do you feel like you talk about a lot? Like, are you working through your faith? And so, because we've talked about it a bit and is that something that like, that's something that you do all the time or is it more like, because you are curious about my background, like we're kind of diving into that today or I, I'm good question. Is it okay to ask you questions? No, of course it is. <laughs> Of course it is, because it I'm around. interested. Uh, no, I kind of talk about it. I don't talk about it all the time. Maybe I do talk about it all the time, but I do think about it all the time now because mm. I have this relationship <laughs> with God that was that was foreign to me before I lost my child. Even in recovery and being good with God and we were cool and, and um, I was living the right way and doing things, but I got I have a relationship now with God that literally it helps me get through the day. Uh, therefore, it's always interesting to me Um my relationship with God makes me feel like I'm connected to my son. Your grief is something different. It's not an actual person or being. Yours is you. You're your person that you're grieving is that little girl and but you it, want to protect her mm -hmm. and you can't. And so I wonder at that point, it would be easier for me to be mad at God in your shoes than in my shoes. And I could be mad at God still. 
I could be. It's an interesting way of looking at that. Um, but I just, it's, I haven't been mad at God about losing my child. I haven't. And I would have thought, like, I always had a quiet agreement with God that I would drink. If I ever, you, if I ever lose a child, I'm drinking again. Like, that, all bets are off. And it hasn't even occurred to me. Um, <clears throat> I, I, I don't. I haven't drank, obviously, and I don't want to. And it's um, it, it's never even looked attractive. But um, so I've, I have behaved much differently than I would have thought after losing a child. And um, it's had the strangest effect on me. I think something that I want to be honest with, and it's kind of a messy thing to even present. It's not something that I have sorted through and now I'm ready to talk about, but I don't know. I just want to go with the flow of what yeah. we've been talking yeah, about. So absolutely. it just feels natural. Like, I think, um, cause you said like angry at God and I'm, I'm over here like nodding, but I'd, I'm like, do I want to nod to something that doesn't feel right? Or like, what, what do I feel about that? And I think on any given day it can be different, Yeah. but I'm trying to make sense of, you know, I want to acknowledge that I look at, I think I'm looking at God, but my dad is in between me and mm, that, mm. you know, and we have so much imagery about the father. I'm like, could you have picked any other example, please? <laughs> you know? And so to some degree, it's like, okay, acknowledge it, move on, move past it. But I'm stuck on that one. You know, I'm still trying to make sense of that. And then, cause if you think there's the person who is in charge, and they are inflicting this. It's really hard for me to not see God that way, and particularly God of the Bible, because there was so much scripture in our, in my experience. And to try to see that with new eyes, I don't know that I can stay in a place where there's a book that runs this whole thing, but we're not going to actually talk about the book itself, because that's actually quite core to some of my um, to have like scripture read over you and used against yeah, you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so reclaim, I think reclaiming scripture at some point, like how would that happen? And then reclaiming just a whole imagery of family, of father, of, you know, the way things should be. And ideally, if that is one of the most formative, positive, foundational things of your experience, it makes sense to use that imagery. You're trying to capture something so so powerful. Um, and when that's a negative connotation, trying to make sense of, um, you know, trying to pick apart and make sense of the human version of what I've been given there without letting it muddle up what the actual real thing is, is supposed to be, that's challenging. I mean, the analogy of God loving us like we love our children is completely blown on you. I mean, you're not, that's not, I mean, you're like, yeah, oh, great. Um, so he loves me like my dad? Does loves me. And that, the tough thing really is, like, does, I think I was is, shown a God that was very similar to my dad, you know? And I believe in a much, much less way, uh, at least not because my family, my good people, my good parents, but in, in our church circle and the people that outside, like we, there was a couple that had a sick baby. We didn't believe in hospitals because you just prayed and faith was going to kill him. And the baby died. The man went to jail and we never addressed it in our church. It happened in our church and no one ever addressed it. He went to jail for his faith, like some sort of, of hero. Um, yeah. There were things, there's things in that we, we've attached to, to, to God that he just didn't do. I, I would love to think that there's a, some space out there where you're going to, that you're going to, God is your father and not your father. And you'll find that thing. Had a lot of people. I'm sure you've been like, like hit right with that. There. And then at the same time, I'm like, if I'm sitting in your chair, I'm like, don't say that to me. You know, you have no idea what I've been through. Yeah, that's a, you're, you're, it's the well, toughest I, of spots. What was it in me that felt like, why am I so grieved that he wasn't that? Some part of me knows that that is what it's supposed to be. You know, it's so important. So there, yeah. you know, um, I think, uh, I just think it's not, oh, you're never going to figure it out. So don't bother trying, don't work it out. You know, I think, I mean, here we are, we're, we're hey, using this conversation and I, I love it. And I think that you know, there's a lot of work that's maybe mine to do and how I do that is fine. But um, if if there there's so much to be learned from other people who've walked different paths, who have different perspectives. And I particularly like people who aren't just going to get up and tell me how to think. They're going to share from their own story. Because when you're sharing something, because you've been through so much and you are letting it be linked to your, your story, crazy, imperfect, you know, as it is, that really carries weight with me, I think. I've always really resonated and benefited and 
one and to hear other people's stories. Thank you. That's an honor. Maybe that's why we write songs. No, that, maybe that is because yeah, yeah, you have to get it out. It's, uh, so I, I know we're getting long, but it's like a couple things I really wanted to know. So you're, it's your show. I know your father-in-law, and he's an awesome he's guy. And so I wanted. It seems like that you got out and you met your husband. This is a very trans. Six years ago, it was very transitional for you, right? I talk about this quite was a bit that, in my book. I go and talk about my husband. I mean, it's not just all about our lovey-dovey marriage, but like meeting my husband was absolutely instrumental. Talk about someone who without this part of my story, I wouldn't be here. And it wasn't just my husband, it was his family. And like, so my family, band, doing music in Nashville. And you're with the band and the family when you met your husband. Yes. So, I mean, talk about funny, like if you were writing this, you know, sometimes people write like a script and they're like, you can't put that in there. People won't think it's real. Yeah, um, yeah. But like my dad had singled out my now father-in-law as someone who is important in the music industry and everything and wanted to kind of align. Um, and he had, my dad had said to Pete, um, Come over. Pete come Fisher, dinner. who ran the Grand Ole Opry. Mm -hmm. guys, was right. Okay, yeah. So background. Awesome guy. Yeah. My family is playing at the Opry. Pete is the guy who's running the Opry at the time. He's now my father-in-law. I ended up marrying his son. So the moment in which like this, these paths are crossing, my dad wants to have Pete, the guy who runs the Opry, to come over for dinner and like let's show you some music, let's show you some music, get some advice, all of this. And dad just throws out. If you have any sons, bring them along. I have a lot of daughters to marry off. Like, and that was just something that he would flippantly say. Sure. But of course, you look back and you're like, oh my God, you know. <laughs> um, foreshadowing. If it weren't, yeah. <laughs> like if a it, lot if it foreshadowing. Weren't so crazy, it would be crazy. Right. Um, and you know, we were um there had just escalated over years. I'm the oldest, I'm the oldest girl. Um, you know relationships can be so key in helping get someone out of a bad situation, opening up someone's heart and mind. And my dad was smart in a way of like recognizing that, that, you know, monitoring the relationships of all, everyone in the family was extremely important to him in keeping his control. Um, especially as we got older, especially sure. as, you know, our circle was growing wider. Um, so if anything, it contracted further and further. And it used to be, Oh, for years, the joke was, um, Someone wants to date you, they have to wrestle me and win. And it led to um, a number of people like wrestling my dad, like including on television. Like it was so embarrassing. Super sweet guy, but like had to wrestle my dad on, you know, on just TV. crazy. Um, and then dad like had to let me go out with him a couple times, but then it was like, no, he's, you know, he's off the list. And then the next person's off the list. And then, and there was no, well, maybe you don't get to tell me this, dad. It was like, no, okay. Um, and so I was allowed to talk with Sean, my now husband, initially after we met for a little while. And then it was, no, he's off the list. Um, he doesn't know his hand-to-hand -hand combat. He doesn't believe the same thing about end times prophecies. He doesn't know his Bible. And, you know, he just isn't isn't checking the, checking the boxes. Well, at this point, this had happened enough times that I just did not obey. So I started, I kept talking with Sean. And... Um, you know, we were in the same circles enough that he just wouldn't quite go away. Um, and dad put up with that a little bit longer until it started being, I mean, some of the physical altercations between my dad and me when he was um, coming at me towards the end was, you know, you are being corrupted by this person. You're being led astray by this person. You cannot talk to this person. So that was one of the threats, you know, um, being him being made the bad guy, me being made the bad guy. Um, and so when I did get out, I did go um, to a extended family member's house without any sort of background. She just let me come there with no questions asked. Um, was your dad freaking out trying to get you physically to stay, or what? Oh yeah, it was. It was. I mean, I don't want to be like read the book, but like no, it's I, so I, complicated. I'm so going to. I, it's so complicated. I, I really wish I had already. Um, but no, no, you're good. You're good. You're good. Like it. Nobody has to, but like, if you want to know the story, like, no, I'll, I'll talk about it. No, everyone needs to read this um, book. I'm... So, uh, yeah, but in, immediately, Sean, his parents, and so many of their friends and family members, we we keep dropping Al's name, but like, so many people were just there, no questions asked, and so supportive. And you know what was so interesting? So I've been told this whole time, 
the outside world. It's bad. It's this, it's that. And yeah, sometimes it was, it's bad and it will look good and taste like candy and be, you know, but really it's bad for you. But especially towards the end, it was, you won't know how to survive. You won't, you know, it's big, bad, dark, and ugly. And that couldn't have been farther from the truth. And I'm grateful for that because I know that that's not a given. I leapt, the net appeared. It's mm -hmm. always mm -hmm. worth leaping. The net doesn't always appear. And like, that's the thing is sometimes people come share your story, talk, and it's like, I will. And I, I am so happy. It's been a happy ending and it's not an ending. The story's ongoing with its own challenges and everything. But most of the time it gets worse before it gets better. And if you pause the story in that middle, it is dark, dark, dark. I am happy. I am grateful. And at the same time, those things should not have happened. You know, and it, it's, it's both. Um, it's funny, though. Sometimes I think you have a different kind of joy when you've survived those hard things. <laughs> I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. I think that suffering and joy are attached. And I'd experience joy so I, I asked. The, I made People a, don't think that's how it works, though. It just, it just is. And and Joe Rogan always says, make yourself suffer every day. And if you make yourself suffer every day, you're taking away some other suffering that's coming. Don't be like, bringing it on yourself. Do a crazy that's workout. A whole, Take a nice shower. Bath, thing, do something. Right? Cold shower. <laughs> I do it because I and I hate it right before I'm getting ready to do it every time. And it's just I just do it anyway. I think that in order to have to have true joy, you have, have to have suffered. I have, I talk about my dad's group. I have a group of dads that, that we meet and that have lost children. And I always ask the question. I don't always ask the question, but I've asked it before. And then I'll ask somebody when I meet him, would you go back knowing that you're going to lose a child, which is the worst thing I can think of. And it's happened to me, right? Would you go back knowing that tragedy was there and erase that? Would you take that away from your life? Would you not have that kid? And unanimously, the answer is always, mm -hmm. of course not. I wouldn't erase that. Therefore, the not having of that kid in their life, even with the tragedy at the end, is worse than not having had it at all. I agree with that. So the joy that I can feel comes from how much I love that kid, even though he's not there. So I suffer because I miss him, but I have even more joy because he was here. I, common sense says, well, I would erase their memory, just not have that kid. I wouldn't have to have all this, this tragedy later in my life. But that's never the answer from any parent. So it makes me think we need the suffering to experience the joy. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, if you tell someone that, it almost feels a little gatekeepy, like what? I should wish myself sorrow. It's like, no, guess what? Uh, Life will take care of that. I was like, gonna say it's coming. The good news is, the bad news is, the good news is, <laughs> you're, we're all gonna suffer yeah. at some point in some way. So no need to, I don't know that we need to bring it on ourselves, like people can take it in different ways, but just, when we come to that point, and it, it's still an ongoing thing for me, when I come across something new, so to speak, it's almost like inside in the little classroom, we've addressed one, adjust, uh, addressed one thing, and now another hand shoots up, excuse me, I have a problem to address. And it's like to welcome that and yeah. to understand that through this process, which never really gets easier, we have the potential to unlock further meaning for their joy, for their gratitude. Um, and again, we really wish it would get easier as we go along, but if it's the right work and the good work, it, it never is. We always are back there having to do this thing that's, that's challenging to us. And if you don't believe in God, just the idea that Al Andrews wound up in Pete Fisher's house living there at the same it's time wild. that you're dating his son and puts all these good people that you needed right when you needed them there. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't believe in coincidence. I think it's, yeah. I think it's fabulous. Um, so I always ask a question before uh, we leave. It's a two-part question. And um, it's, uh, what is the worst thing that's ever happened to you? Oh. <laughs> and, and what is the best thing that came out of that? Gosh. Well, I mean, is it too on the nose to say, like, just um, probably I, I would think, like, the, the, the winter Instead of an incident, I'm going to go with the whole time period. But, you know, the winter of 2015, spring 2016 was was pretty rough time for me personally. And it was the culmination of, you know, we've been we've been talking about my story um, kind of this whole time. But um, just a, every type of abuse that should not have been allowed to continue. And I had to become the adult that I needed. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. And I'm still trying to figure it out. But what that has brought is healing, it's brought 
really what feels like a new chance at life. And so I try to approach every day. Um, haven't name dropped my album yet, but I will now. It's called Brand New Day. And that sums up the other side of all of the dark stuff, you know, all of the unspeakable stuff. When you survive something that you thought was going to kill you, when you see the impossible happen, it changes you forever, I think. And that's where uh, a huge sense of hope and purpose <laughs> and um, even intrinsic belonging, belonging like goes with you wherever you go. So I think internally for me, there's been so much change. I may look fairly similar to how I did just a couple of years ago. I'm doing some of the same things on the surface, but I feel so different. Um, and I just, I'm coming to understand that it's not unique to me. You know, anyone, I love how you're phrasing that question because that kind of sums up, that's kind of how I look at life now. It's like looking at the challenges, looking at the hard things, and then looking at the good that comes from them. Like almost a thank you for the hard things. And I don't, I, I mean, I I don't want the hardest, the, the, the thing that's, that happened to you, the thing that happened to me. There's just no, there's never going to be like, oh, that's just look for the good in that. But there is good in the recovery from that. And uh, my friend Natalie Hemby, who I had on here, she wrote the Casey Musgrave song Rainbow. I don't know if you're familiar. I saw with. your interview. I loved that. Um, I'm about to perform with her. We're about that, to do a show. Oh, good. She's freaking amazing. But that song makes me feel sorrow and joy at the same time. I don't know how it is. I think I told her on here. I can't remember what I said. Uh, but it, 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 it kind of encompasses that. When she plays, we do a lot of writers' functions together. <clears throat> so we'll play together, and she plays that song, and it's a, it's a happy song, and it's a sad song at the same time. And I think our stories are the same thing. I mean, it is... It's horrendous the, what you've been through, but it's amazing how you're 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 like uh, I don't want to say light and like a disrespectful way, but you're light. You're you're and and it's a hard. It would be hard to be that. You have every reason. You have every reason to go the opposite way to be dark and pissed and whatever. And there's some of the people that fight in court all the time, and they're just uh, good for them. That's their call. But your call, I think, is just to let people understand. Hey, there's. You can you can escape from this. You can recover from this. Um, and there's going to be days where, you know, I feel like I have to continue to give myself permission to. There's a lot of pressure to kind of be a perfect victim sometimes, like a perfect survivor. <laughs> yeah. I'll say, and uh, it is not. Day. There is no such thing. Um, and yet, at the same time, back to what you were saying earlier about not worrying about what people think about you, because. If I tried every day to try to appear how someone else would expect a survivor like to look like, um, that's not how I like live my life day to day. And it was kind of funny to me. I worked um, like many people over the past couple of years and things like shut down. And like I was working on my music, I was working on my book, but also needed money, needed a job, like trying to figure out. And I was working at a restaurant and there's like this cool person like kind of like a little bit moody like maybe what is this person's story and like we were interacting and um and I'm usually pretty peppy in the morning don't even need the coffee but I'm gonna you know stop. <laughs> oh and you're one of those people this person just said to me like you know the only reason you're so happy is nothing bad has ever happened to you Ooh. and I the funniest thing is my reaction was like haha got you like did you tell no. him <laughs> no I just said you know I'm I can't even remember exactly what I said, but I thought one day you'll read my book, maybe. <laughs> but I don't like I don't have to tell you in this moment. Um, but it, wow. it's just funny to me. Sometimes like <laughs> it's backwards, but it's like I don't need to be I don't need to be apologetic for being happy. No, because it's not the way you think. Like the only reason I am this happy, <laughs> yeah, yeah, is because the shit that I've been through yeah. and that I've survived. There's and an element of bring it on. Like I have, exactly. I have survived the worst. Exactly, I have seen <clears throat> worse than yeah. you. <laughs> I've seen worse than some. Oh my god, the person that said that to you. I see. I, I'm still so having funny. Enough, just whatever that. I, if I were to see that person, I would just punch him right like, square in the face. Do you like Brene Brown? Like, have you read any of her? Who Brene Brown? No, any I don't of know. Her stuff? What? Look up at Brene Brown, B 
R-E-N-E, my husband, um, when the first time we were forced to not talk to each other and break up, he <laughs> snuck me this book called Rising Strong by Brene Brown. And she has this viral TED Talk interview about um, shame, vulnerability, connection, and how it's kind of counterintuitive, but like vulnerability is our strength. And like, yeah. like all these things are connected. And so I've, you know, that... There's another example of something without it. Who knows if I'd even be here, but that book saved my life. That interaction saved my life. And uh, she has a lot of wonderful work out there um, on emotions, on um, belonging, all that stuff. And somewhere in one of her books, she talks about um, this question of, is this something that you're willing to be alone on? And I think that's such a great gut check because whether it be happy, sad, like whatever we're risking and we're doing, I think it takes away whether are we doing this for approval? Are we doing this for other people? And yeah, when we go, does this scare me? And it's like, what is the worst thing that could happen? Have I ever? And for me, my lived experience of like being alone on something was literally the line of it's okay for me not to be hit every day. And I guess I'm willing to be alone on that. You know, like I will be at odds with my entire family, my entire world as I've known it to try to do and find something better. Um, and so when people try to like force you to do something or shame you or like peer pressure you, it's like, no, no, I'm, this is something that I'm willing to be alone on that. That doesn't have any power over me. Anymore. I love that because the truth is if you're willing to be alone, there's a freedom to that because if you're looking around seeing it's, a, there's a thing about like, like uh, crying on camera, you know, or, 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 be, or, or man. And I don't want to like, I'm a man. I don't want to cry. And I kind of was like, I, don't, I, don't, I really don't care what anyone thinks. I mean, I, I, I care what God thinks and in some sort of ethereal way I do, you know, whatever that is, I want to please, God, and I care what my wife thinks just based on wanting to be respectful of her and, and we're, you know, it's my best friend. And I, I guess I don't want my kids to be any more embarrassed of me than they are of any other dad. Um, right. It doesn't make you someone who's like, I'm an island, I care yeah. for no one. It's not that. But I don't really, and I said this long before it was true, but I don't really care. <laughs> Well, I, I said it a lot. No, I don't care what anyone thinks, bullshit. I, I wanted you to think that I was a person that didn't care what you thought because I thought that was cool. But I, actually, at this point, I'm, and it, I have moments, by the way, I, I recognize balances. I'm swinging past it, right? So <laughs> I, there are moments that I will get back into caring. But the, the truth is, I pretty much don't care. There's a very few small people, I mean, small group of people that I, that would, that I would say, yeah, I, I, it's important to me that they think the right thing just because I think their futures are maybe based on my behavior or whatever it might be. Right. But that, that mass of people out there that we don't know that doesn't care. And the truth is they don't care about you. They're so worried about themselves. They're not looking at you. What they could get from me is for me to be honest. And that all of a sudden there's some people that are hurting. They go, man, you helped me not hurt anymore with whatever that is. And so that mass of people who said, oh, I love your music. And that's great. I mean, I'm sorry we didn't talk well, more about music, but the truth is I don't care much about it anymore. <laughs> I care about the healing part of it, you said. But that finding people that are in pain, that need help, that are suffering, and we can help them mm -hmm. and we can... Well, it's just different mediums, right? So yeah. I love music for music's sake. I love books. I've written one. I love writing and reading, all of that. But the point isn't necessarily the book itself or the song itself or... It, you know, it's what we're saying with it, what we're doing with it, what we're using it for. And, you know, you could have a conversation that's just as healing as a song or a book, you know, and this what we're trying. I think we're both ha have this in common and we're trying to do this with our yeah. stories, with our time. Um, one more thing that has really, I think, brought me to this particular moment is another kind of gut check question. Um, and it's like, what's something that only I can do? Hmm. Um, not as in I'm the best and I'm Olympian and I'm number one. It's kind of where's my story led? What's the opportunity? Because, you know, do if we write songs, it's like the point isn't to write the best song per se. It's like to write what only we can write and only we know what that is. Um, and that's where you really start hitting that different. You know, when there's so many podcasts out there, why, why start one? It's like because because it's it's worth figuring out what we have to bring. 
um, not to make us the center of things, but most of the time you realize that it's just a medium to connect, to lift up, and yeah. to, to make sense of things. So. Like my friend Tom Douglas, he's a songwriter, I don't know if you know Tom, but, but his, he says, it's not that my story is the best story, it's just the story that I know best. And, and the, the truth is, is that everyone has, everyone has a story. And mm -hmm. the outlandishness, the extreme nature of your story encompasses a lot of different people. Because some people are, like you said, I relate to this and this, but I don't relate to that and that. There's so much there for people to relate to. And um, I think it's going to help tons of people. I can't wait to read your book. Okay, the book is Unspeakable and the album is Brand New Day. Jessica Willis-Fisher, you're freaking <laughs> awesome. Thank you for doing this. I mean, that's super powerful. I could talk me. to you for like six hours. Yeah, um, I I apologize for like, well, I guess I don't apologize, um, but uh, same time next week. Please right? don't apologize. <laughs> yes. I mean, absolutely. It's just amazing. You're not just the story, but you're, you're, the oration of it is so accurate um, from just what I can know, have known about that. And it's, um, there's just safeguards that people can go. I think I think a lot of people are going to be besides the fact that it's interesting, and but a lot of people are going to be jump off the train before it crashes because of hearing your oh story gosh. in your book. That's an analogy that I use in the book. I remember really? thinking like we're we're on a train and it's about to yeah, but that's what it feels Crazy. like. You're awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yes. Wow. <laughs>